how many of you guys, I just want a, a show of hands, even if you're watching online and you're in your jammas and you're by yourself, right? Just act like you're in the room with us. How many of you guys have watched the movie Interstellar with Matthew McConaughey? Anyone seen that one? Let's just see. Just a few. Jerry, I figured you'd be one of the ones that watched that one. It was, it was a good movie, right? Uh, and there's terrific music in that movie. If you love music, you would love the soundtrack to that movie. But if you watch that movie till the end, the one thing that you know that transcends time and transcends space is love, right? Is love. And it, it was supposed to play as really touchy-feely. It just kind of confused me like, what? That doesn't make any sense. But it is what it is, right? And they made a lot of money in that movie, and I didn't. So they know what they're talking about. But love, is, it's a touchy subject because everyone has different experiences with it, right? There's no shortage of opinions on the topic of love. So I went to some of the most well-respected humans of our time, and I gathered some of their thoughts on love. Uh, take Richard Jenny, for example. You might not know him, but there's going to be a picture on the screen. He said this. It said, honesty is the key to a relationship. If you can fake that, you're in. I expected a laugh there. That was a funny one. All right, here we go. Just testing the waters here. Test you got to laugh, right? I'm a, I'm a guy who needs some interaction. If something sticks out to you, say hallelujah. Larry, I know you got my back, brother. I love it when you're on the front. Many of you guys have heard of the legendary Jerry Seinfeld, right? You've heard of Jerry Seinfeld. You can't have lived in America and not heard of him, right? He said, being a good husband is like being a stand-up comic. You need 10 years before you can call yourself a beginner. Husbands, you said, amen, right? I just reached our 10-year anniversary, and I still have no idea what I'm doing. Or, you know, one of the most accurate descriptions in a quote that I've seen came from author Bryant Carroll. And he said this, love is a two-way street constantly under construction. Isn't that, like, you read that and you're like, yep. Ain't that the truth, right? Constantly under construction. Two-way, because it takes both parties doing some work, right? But it's, uh, you never arrive. You never arrive. Who's, I just, this isn't even the message. Who's the longest married couple in the room? How long? 47. Do you guys feel like you finally, you made it, you've arrived, you got it down? Still going, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Glenna was like, years ago, I got it years ago. Roy's like, Still going, baby. That, isn't that just, that's the honest to God truth, right? Just when you think you've arrived, you find yet another thing to work on to better yourself, right? In your relationships. One of the biggest steps forward I took in my marriage was choosing to learn the language of love. Learning how to speak love to the people when it matters the most and how it matters the most. And and I'm not talking about learning how to speak French, right? That's just, it, everyone loves French, but that's not what I'm talking about. I want you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, right? If you have your Bible, book of Isaiah, that's where we're going to be spending our time today. And um, as you're all getting to the book of Isaiah, specifically chapter 49, why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, man, you look good today. Can you say that to someone next to you? Jerry, say it to yourself, brother. There you go. Man, yeah, you know, I'll say it to you. Man, you look good today. You look good today. So let's go ahead and read Isaiah 49, 14 through 16. It says this. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you. On the palms of my hands, your walls are ever before me. 
Let's pray. God, we thank you for your forgiveness and your love for us. And we thank you that no matter how bad we mess up or how many times we mess up, you're always right there to help us back up. And I pray that you would speak directly to our hearts. And God, would you allow us to have the strength to change what we need to change? We love you. Amen. So one of my favorite parts of this passage is when he talks about a mother forgetting her child, right? It's an extreme example. It doesn't happen very often, but, but I do personally know the feeling. Uh, back when I was a kid, <clears throat> my parents, uh, their ministry at the church that I grew up in was they would go pick up people who couldn't drive themselves, often um, handicapped people, mentally disabled people, those things, people who couldn't drive themselves to church, and they would drive all over the city. They'd pick them all up, and they would bring them to church, and after church, they'd bring them home. No one else was doing it, so my parents were like, someone's got to do it, and they did that, which is great, but there were so many people that every single week, my parents had to take two cars, Right? And so when church would get out, they would go to their cars, and there happened to be one week when my mom just assumed that my dad had me. And then also, my dad assumed that my mom had me. I think you all know where this is going, right? And so church is getting over, and uh, people, you know, it's starting to get empty in there, and I'm like, where's my mom and dad? And, uh, you know, this wasn't a time when cell phones were really a thing, right? They existed, but this is when, like, you, if you wanted to call someone, you had to memorize the number. You guys remember those days when you had to, me- now you probably don't even know your spouse's number. You, if you lost your phone, game over, right? But back then, you had, to, you had to lock that in. So I knew my home phone number. The challenge was, my parents weren't home, right? So I had to wait a long time before my parents both got home. And I know that they didn't need to receive the call, right? They'd both get home and they'd be like, hold up, something's not right. Because at this point, both of my uh, siblings were out of the house. Uh, my brother's seven years older. My, bro- uh, my sister's nine years older. So I was the only one in the house with my parents for quite a while. So it was just me. So they had a few moments of uh, quiet before they figured something out something was wrong, and they came to the church, picked me up, and it was great, you know, no ill feelings. But then, this is the kicker, all right? I don't know how this happens. The very next week, my mom assumed that my dad had me, and my dad assumed my mom had me, and then guess what? The exact same thing happened two weeks in a row. Now, all that to say, I love my parents. You know, they're the best in the world. They really are. And if you are listening, mom and dad, I forgive you. But, but I expect some solid babysitting when you visit me and Trin when baby arrives in January. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're going to take the kids for a while, and me and Trin are just going to get away. Anyone, anyone on board with that one? You say that, Brian, I think you deserve that little brief, brief vacation for what your parents put you through, right? How many of you guys have put your kids through, through something you're like, I... I can't believe I just did that, yeah? And just me, just me, great. Um, sorry, my ADD kicked in there. None of that really has anything to do with the focus of today's message. But back in 1992, there was a book that was written by Dr. Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. And uh, many of you guys have probably read that. Um, to this day, it is still one of the most highly influential relationship books on the planet, if not the most influential one. There's a a picture of it for just you guys have a reference. 
if you've ever read it before, uh, if, or if you've never read it before, I would highly recommend reading this book. And this is coming from a guy who really doesn't read, all right? I'm not big on reading. I read my Bible because I know it's good for me. I get a lot out of it. But it's like reading isn't something I naturally enjoy. Like, it's to the point where when I'm reading a book to my kids, and it's one of those, like, egregiously long ones that I'm pretty sure the author wrote it that long just to get at the parents, you know what I'm saying? I read every other page, and I just pray that it still makes sense by the end time we get to the end. And so far, my kids haven't complained, but that's where I'm at, all right? So coming from a person who doesn't read all that often, this book is worth it, all right? If you have had trouble in your marriage or with a relationship, this book is huge, all right? And in this book, Dr. Chapman, he lists out the five ways that humans best receive love, which he calls love languages. Now, if you're taking notes, you want to write these down, all right? We're just going to go briefly over the five love languages just so you know what they are. The first one is quality time. Now, this isn't my wife's top love language, but it's up there, all right? It's very, very much up there. Some of you husbands out there know what I'm talking about. You know, she'll come up to me sometimes and say, I really feel like we need to spend some more time together. If you know anything about me and Pastor Trin's life, in my head, I'm thinking, man, we sleep in the same bed together every night. We work literally the same jobs in the same building every single day. We do spend time together. You know what I'm saying? Like, in my head, I'm like, what, what additional time are you thinking we, we need here? We're always around each other. And honestly, I'm just dumbfounded that she isn't completely annoyed with me on a daily basis because of all the time that we spend together and the generous amount of stupid stuff that I do in our life, right? You know, too many times we're, we're so caught up in how we ourselves receive love best that, that we fail to give out the love in a way that best suits those around us. And the key to this love language is not just found in spending more time together. The important word is quality, quality time. Make sure that you spend time together and it's meaningful, meaningful time. The second love language is words of affirmation. Now, how many of you guys enjoy a good compliment? Anyone in here, you're like, no need to be ashamed. If you enjoy a compliment, that's great. You get some utility out of being told that you're awesome, right? It's, it's cool. If, if someone next to you raise your hand, why don't you turn to them and say, you're awesome, right? Because they'll probably feel a little bit loved right now. You know what I don't like, though? Backhanded, back, uh, backhanded compliments. Anyone else, right? You know, that, that aren't really compliments at all. Like one time when I was still living in Montana, I had been playing uh, music at church for years. You know, I was the bass player at the traditional service, you know, boom, 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 boom. Just that kind of bass line. It was great. Um, all of the old people were really into it. It was amazing. And I had been playing music at the church for years, and someone came up to me. I don't remember who. Thank God I don't remember who. And they said, man, Brian, you're really starting to get better at music. And I'm like, hold up. What do you mean I'm starting to get better at music? You know what I'm saying? Like, it was a compliment, but there was a little bit of undertone to the compliment, right? I've been playing the saxophone since I was in fifth grade, and I've always been second chair behind my stupidly talented best friend, Taylor, right? Maybe he's watching right now. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. You know, any of you guys ever get a backhanded compliment like that, right? In all reality, though, a, love, a lot of people's love language is words of affirmation. 
And if this is your spouse's love language, you need to try to tell them more often how much you appreciate them. It goes a long way for them. The third love language is physical touch. Now, got to be honest, most of the guys in this room who are listening just perked up a little bit. They're like, uh-huh, that's what I'm... Now, listen, beyond the glaringly obvious sexual component of this love language, for those that are married, people with this love language enjoy holding hands. They like to cuddle, they like to hug, and they just love physical touch. Now, for someone who leans towards this love language, when, when you withhold physical touch, it's like you're withholding love from them because that's how they receive love. There's, you know, there's nothing wrong with this love language, but, but if you are that person or you're married to that person, you should know what makes them tick, right? Now, I don't know about you guys, but, but my wife gives the best back massages known to mankind. Nothing makes me feel better or more loved than when I am physically near my wife. The fourth love language is gifts. First off, how many guys are excited that we are quickly approaching Christmas season? Anyone? I love it. November 2nd is my wife's birthday, and as her birthday gift, we put out the Christmas decorations at the house. November 2nd, all right? Not even fully into the first week of November, we are all ready for Christmas. Now, we will do Thanksgiving. We will. But Christmas. It's all about Christmas, baby. November 2nd, Christmas stuff is up at our house. Might as well start listening to Christmas music, right? Some of you guys are like, no, November has to be over. December 1st, that's when you can listen to Christmas music. I don't care. November 2nd in our household, that's when it is because we love Christmas. I mean, come on, who doesn't love Christmas? It's just a magical time of year. And this is one of the favorite times of year for those of you who have gifts as your love language, right? Now, this love language really is a two-way street. People with this gift, you know, uh, on the most part, enjoy being on both sides of the gift. You know, they feel like they're show showing the most love when they give you a gift, and they also feel the most special when they receive a gift from someone else. And it doesn't always have to be a big gift either, right? They enjoy those small, thoughtful gifts that you get randomly, like a bouquet of flowers or a king-size candy bar on a stressful day, Right? Giving and receiving gifts is the most effective way of making this person feel loved. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's one of the languages of love. The fifth love language, the last one is acts of service. Now this one is my wife's top love language. She feels loved and appreciated when, when I do the dishes or I do the laundry without being asked or without being nagged. You know, when I bring her a nice cold glass of water before she goes to bed, she truly appreciate, appreciates it when I selflessly serve her with no agenda behind it just to love her. Believe me though, that's that is something that I do not contain within myself naturally, all right? I think that's true for most guys as well. I had to be disciplined to not be lazy and to take care of my wife. You know, marriage isn't as easy as I thought it would be, right? Most of you guys are like, I get it. But nothing makes me feel better than my wife and knowing that she feels loved. You know, the main part of the body that deals with acts of service are the hands, right? They're arguably the most important part of who we are. Now, hear me out on this one. Hands, they represent 
presence, not like gifts, but as in you are there, right? They represent power, and ultimately they represent service. How do you know someone is serving you? They're getting their hands dirty by putting their love into action, right? That's why it's so important that, that God chose to talk about his hands in the passage we read in Isaiah. Hands are important. You know, something else that's been very important in our culture that our culture seems to be completely infatuated with is, is tattoos, right? It seems like there's, there's hardly any more people out there in the world who don't have a tattoo. Um, does anyone not have a tattoo? Anyone in here not? Okay, I stand corrected. This room is not the norm, right? <laughs> I don't have a tattoo either. I get it, I get it. But one person that my mind goes to when I think about tattoos, believe it or not, is Pastor Troy. You're like, Hold up, why? <laughs> you know, that, that doesn't make sense. I know what most of y'all are thinking, right? He doesn't have a tattoo, right? He doesn't have, like, sleeves and stuff like that. He doesn't. But did you know that Pastor Troy has a tattoo right on his, um, on his chest? Sorry. Um, I was going to say, what did you think I was going to say? Oh, my goodness. Get your brains out of the gutter, folks. He has a tattoo on his chest, and it's a tattoo that represents his love for Pastor Keeley, his wife. Right? Pastor Troy has a tattoo, and it's not because he thinks tattoos are cool. Tattoos have meaning. Tattoos represent commitment. They represent loyalty. Right? If you remember, the, the Bible said in Isaiah 49, in the first part of verse 16, it says, See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. God has engraved you, you, specifically you, not Humanity in general. He's talking to every single person in here. He has engraved you in the palm of his hand. And he's symbolizing that he is committed to you and that every time he acts, he is reminded of you. Every time he stretches out his hand to do an act of service, he is reminded of you because your name is engraved on his hand. Maybe some of us are intimidated by that. You know, maybe some of us are focused on the question of, well, well, when exactly did he get that tattoo of me, right? When exactly did he engrave his hands? You know, was it was that, that time I really messed up and did something that I knew I shouldn't have done? Was it that time? Is that what he remembers me by, right? Is that how God remembers me? He must get mad every time he sees my name. I think some of you guys feel that way, but... But I want to remind you that God, God is not mad at you. The engraving on his hand does not serve as a reminder to him of all the bad you've ever done. It reminds him of his overwhelming love for you. It reminds him of his never-ending commitment to you. That he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. That you are a blood-bought child of the king and he is going to do everything in his power to protect you and love you. Amen? Amen? You see, God doesn't wait for you. He doesn't wait for you to feel a certain way or, or get to a certain level of righteousness. God is what we call the initiator. He acts, and it's our responsibility to respond. We aren't chasing after God so much as God is chasing after us. You see, I know firsthand that God's grace comes to us before we even ask for it. 
Romans 5, 8 says this. It says, but God demonstrate his, demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't wait for you to be perfect before he loved you. He loved you while you were still making those bad decisions. He loved you so much that he decided to step out of his perfect place in heaven and come down and be with us. And then he took it a step further when he decided to lay down his own life on a cross to pay the price for our sins, right? That, that we could be with him forever. That is love. And the Bible says that he decided to do all of this even while we were still sinning. Doesn't anyone in here ever get mad when someone doesn't text you back? Anyone, right? Get a little triggered? Yeah, Jessica, I heard that. I heard that. It gets me too, right? There's, there's certain things that get me. This is one of those, you know, especially when it's one of those times when you really need to know something. Like it's like urgent, urgent. You need them to respond and they get back to you a couple days late, right? Kind of like when maybe you're in like the huge line at the DMV and you realize at the last second that you forgot that one number on that one page you left at home that you absolutely need to get this paperwork processed. And then... And then that person that you called or texted, they don't get back to you, right? And you have to go get the number yourself back at home. And then you have to get back in the DMV line again and start the three-year DMV line waiting process all over again, right? You ever been there, right? You just make the appointment at the DMV. It's worth it, all right? It's worth it. Some of us, I think, are the same way with God. He is messaging you right now, and it's time to respond. He's pursuing you. He's been seeking after you, and he's ready to meet you where you are. He is ready to convince you that he truly loves and cares for you. See, God always positions himself as a convincer. In the New Testament, there's a guy named Saul. And Saul starts out as a very bad man. He's the definition of anti-Christian. He is the one who is most horrifically persecuting Christians. However, God, being the ultimate convincer that he is, positioned himself to radically change Saul's life. He met Saul in the middle of the road on Saul's way to persecute more Christians, and he knocked Saul down, and he revealed himself to Saul in a real, tangible way. And Saul was never the same after what we call his Damascus Road experience. Saul, who is also called Paul, was convinced of the love of Jesus after that event. And Paul wrote this in Romans 8, 38 and 39. He said, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, not, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Nothing. Believe that. Amen. Nothing. But Brian, what about nothing? What about that one time when I made that big mistake? Nothing. What about that time when I let my kids down? Nothing. What about that time that I went to jail for what I did? Nothing. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. Hallelujah. Nothing. You hear that? I know you're thinking about something right now. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. Paul, the man who used to kill Christians, was convinced that nothing could separate him 
from the love of God. Maybe it's time for you. Maybe today is the day that you have an experience like Paul, an experience strong enough and real enough to convince you that nothing could ever separate you from the love of God. I pray that today is the day you become convinced. But you know what? We all have doubts. We all have questions. And let me tell you that God is not intimidated by your questions or your doubts. He's not intimidated, right? And there is a man in the Bible by the name of Thomas. No one just knows the guy by Thomas, if you know the Bible, right? He spent three years with Jesus during Jesus' time of ministry on earth. He saw uh, miracles that Jesus performed in the flesh. He saw the demons that were cast out, the blind people that were healed. He saw it all. And yet he was still not convinced that Jesus was Lord. That's why they called him Doubting Thomas, right? How many of you guys, if you were in the Bible, you would hate to know that doubting just always went before your name, right? Oh, here we go. Here's Doubting Brian again. I'd be reading my Bible and be like, come on, guys, I got past this, right? Oh, there's Doubting Brian again, right? He was with Jesus three years. He was with Jesus in the flesh. You see, it doesn't matter how long you've been with Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're a new Christian or if you're an experienced Christian. Are you convinced of Jesus' love for you? I really want you to take some time and think about that. Don't just answer yes because you feel like it's the right thing. Are you convinced of Jesus' love for you? Are you truly convinced? You see, after Jesus miraculously rose from the dead, one of the first things that he did was say, where's Thomas? Because he knew that Thomas was a doubter. And who is God? the convincer. He went to Thomas. He showed him the holes in his nail-pierced hands. And once and for all, he convinced Thomas that he was who he said he was. And today, God is ready to convince you. The Bible says in Jeremiah 31, it says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You insert yourself into this. He's talking about you. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. See, God's law is love. And he has written that law on your heart. He wrote it on your heart so that when you mess up, you know that he loves you. When you feel like there's no way he could ever want you again, it's written on your heart that he loves you. 1 John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And since God is love, then there is no reason to fear God. God is not calling us to fear punishment, 
but to accept his perfect love that forgives all things. And this can be really hard for us to accept, though. You know, studies have shown that, that all humans fear two things when it comes to our relationships. The first thing we fear is rejection. There is fear. This is fear number one because we just want to be accepted for who we are. No one wants to find out that who you are isn't good enough for somebody. That hurts. We have no reason to fear this with Jesus. And the second thing we fear in relationships is betrayal. One thing that hurts almost even more than being rejected is being accepted first and then losing that acceptance by being betrayed. We've all experienced it. Our, te our teenagers experience it all the time. But it's something that we have no reason to fear with Jesus. So God is telling you that there is no fear in this relationship. There's no reason to be afraid. God accepts you exactly where you are in this moment. He's written your name on his hand to not only remind himself every time he takes action that he loves you, but to convince you that he is committed completely to loving you unconditionally. So today is your day to finally enjoy and receive what God has for you. So right now, what we're going to do is pursue the love of Jesus. Pastor Trin is going to play, and as she does, I want you to know that these altars up here are open. And I ask that if there's any pastoral members or, or interns or elders, could you right now just come on up to the stage? And as people come up, I want you to begin to pray for them, okay? For you guys out there, if you need to come up and release some things to God, do it. If you need to come up and, and get prayed over by someone, do it. If you need to come up and get on your knees and, and worship God unhindered, do it. That love that you so desperately need from Jesus is available to you. But I believe that God wants you to take a step towards him right now. So as Pastor Trin plays, please come on up and receive the love that Jesus has in store for you. And then in a few minutes, we'll dismiss. So if you need prayer, you need to let things go. You need to get out of your seat. You need to come up to this altar and you need to receive the love of God. Amen.